0: good news of the kingdom that which we have received to give it away to those who are near and here and those who are far from us that's a call of the gospel well, our job is to be apprentices of jesus and to usher in the gospel and the kingdom of jesus christ i was up on the square on tuesday night not making a political statement but i was up at the uh, we deserve more campaign uh, and straight after the the gallery in there i had a friend who was part of organizing it a guy i know fairly well and i went up to him and he says i see There's a lot of your people out there and I was kind of proud thinking vineyard people and they showed me the text and the text was about Primark burning down and God's wrath against Primark because they had backed the Gay Pride March in Belfast. And that was his association with my people. And I said, no, 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 no. That's not my people and that's certainly not my God. And so there's a chasm between our community and the church. But the good news is that we can bridge the chasm. And the best way to do it is through hospitality, through the table. It's the method, it's a model that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came eating and drinking. You can't get away from it. He was either going to a meal, coming from a meal, or partaking in a meal. And that was his one method. So if you're looking for a method of evangelism, there's many out there, and I'm sure they're all great, but the Bible message, the biblical scriptural message of of Bridging the gap between people that don't know Jesus and people that do know Jesus is not a track, by the way. It might work. It's not a loud healer telling people they're going to hell in a handbag. Their, their life pretty as much probably hell for them that week anyway. That, that, that's not going to happen. The biblical concept is opening up your home, using it as an outpost to the kingdom, and inviting people in. So the gospel brings people back with you. You don't have to be a missionary and go out there. All you do is bring people back to your home and don't be afraid to use the word Jesus, not as a swear word, but as a deepening of the conversation. Are you up for that? Let me give you some greetings from Paul to the first original church. You can write these down because we're not going to turn them. I have just got them flipped up on my iPad. Uh, so Romans sixteen three. for those of you who are taking notes, it says, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. Greet also the church that meets in their house. You see, there's a bit of church and home. Colossians 4, 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and the sisters, Laodicea, to Napha, and the church in her house. Wow, does that sound like there's a woman leader there? Couldn't be. It's not scriptural, is it? Philemon, or Philemon, whatever you prefer. 1. Starting from one, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend, and fellow worker, also to Athea, our sister, and say it very fast, Jason, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. The church that meets in your home. One of the things that's probably the most common thing when we gather together, when new people come to a community of faith such as ours, uh, especially if you come from a traditional background, I have no tradition at all in my home except for faith and Jesus tradition, I'm sure I have a bit of that. We all have traditions, just different, right? So that's a silly statement, Jason. I do have tradition, just slightly totally different from the, the main churches. And so when people come to, to us, the, one of the, the, the things that probably is more of a stumbling block to them to connect with Jesus and community is actually the building, believe it or not. Not the, not the message, not the worship, not the teaching, not our kids' programs or anything else. But sometimes, and I, I totally understand it, it's just the shape of the building. But you know that the building and architecture of the church has changed through century after century after century. And architecture in, in church world always speaks of Their theology, and so you have probably around the fourth century, they started building these massive cathedrals. And a cathedral was, uh, uh, if you were looking down, if they took the roof off the cathedral and you looked down, birds eye view, if you had one of those uh, drones, uh, if you were doing that, uh, you would see the shape of the cross. And so everything pointed to to this one that took you in one passage, and that passage, the the main focus point was the the altar. And for that century, for that time, everything was around the altar. So the scriptures were not prominent. The singing of community together was not prominent. Everything was around altar or mass or Eucharist or communion. And we talked a lot, a lot about that last week as some people have pointed out to me. But in saying that, all quality and worth of listen again if you choose to go back and listen to last week's talk on communion. Totally biblical. I'd encourage you actually to go back and listen to last week's talk if you have not done that yet. And then church changed through the reformers, right? In 1600s, what happened is the, change, the shape of the church changed to fit the theology again. And so it became more off the pulpit, and the scripture then was being read, and everything was around reformation, everything was around. Bible print and people hearing Scripture, the sound of Scripture, not only hearing the sound of Scripture, but them also what we're trying to encourage you to do, not to be reformists or anything like that, but just <laughs> simple followers of Jesus Christ. Not simple as in simple, but simple as in plain followers of Jesus Christ. We're trying to encourage you to read the ancient Scriptures and make them priority in your life. And I hope that you do that day in and day out. It'll feed your soul. This is the menu. This, if you're looking to be fed here on a Sunday morning... You have an eating problem. You have an eating disorder. You, you need to eat more than once on a Sunday morning. And by the way, it's pretty tasty, right? On a Sunday morning. Uh, so, so then you come to places like this. And, the, and then the modern church, what has happened to us is we've, we've got crazy. I and mean, we've gone down ridiculous street. So ours is more theater style, Right. Uh, and, and even even our small, simple shed here looks a little theater style because uh, what, what, what's emphasized in our supposed theology is Scripture and worship together. Uh, so what, what we don't want to do is this to become the sound area for what we push out and project onto you. We want the sound and the projection to come this way. Right? You with me? Community. All that to say, all this is to say, Guys, it's got weird and wacky and I'm not making comment on who's right and who's wrong but we're always right vineyard right because you'll find that out in the end that's just a wee joke by the way we're probably miles away miles away and we're going to be shocked when we when we uh, face to face with Jesus on this new earth and we find out oh right actually they were a wee bit more right than us and so And so we we were gathered around this box and this this, this shed, and that's all it is. And we get caught up in the building, but you know what? The architecture of the first original church, if you were to ask what it looked like, if it was cross, if it was scripture-orientated, pulpit-orientated, if it was theater-style to project sound and music, no, it wasn't. It was so simple. And the architecture of the first original church was simply home and table. Home and table. Table, home, and table. Stop. So let's get over ourselves. It's not about the building. It's about the community. It's about the family. And so I think that the first century church, I'm going to say, might just got it right because they were talking to a man called Jesus and he showed them the way. And Jesus is perfect theology, not vineyard, not Methodist. Not Catholic, Anglican Methodist, free, paid, subscription, <laughs> non subscription, six months free, buy now, pay later, type church. None of that. Hey, hope none of you are buying now and paying later here in the vineyards, by the way. We're watching. Guys a few there are a few names that describe the followers of Jesus Christ in the Bible. And as I've noticed during the week, a few more in society to describe followers of Jesus Christ. Christians, the word Christian, do you know how many times, this is a little trivia for you, if you go to a pub quiz and this comes up, bag this one, this will get you the winner. All right, lock it in, as the Yanks say. Lock it in, lock it in. How many times do you think the word Christian is used in Scripture? In the New Testament, it's used how many times? and we'll go take our answer from this side first here we go look the russian did can't get their hands up quick enough how many times do you think one, one no A little slightly higher higher lower higher lower you remember I feel like bristol Forsyth up here two slightly higher three three yeah, yeah. three, <laughs> three, 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 three. Uh, okay three times three times is probably the most predominant word that we hear in our culture but yet the most or sorry the last used in all of scripture Uh, but there is a metaphor for the church that dominates the new testament does anybody want to have a guess on what that word is the dominant word that describes the church in biblical terms in scripture coming straight out of the pages what do you think that word is we are we are yeah that's the word that's the word (laughs) And that other word, disciple, is pretty dominant too. That word, disciple, is used. You think of the word Christian, right? So apprentice, disciple, three times Christian. I'm not trying to be smart in any way, but I'm just trying to be scriptural and scriptural based. The word, three times in scripture, and the more dominant one, the word disciple, is used 268 times. Wow! Remember? Italics, bold, highlight. Drive it home. That's the message. And so we have up to 200 and. 30 times the gospel, sorry, in the New Testament, the gospels, it's 30 times in the book of Acts alone that word disciple is used. But the word that's probably most dominant more than anything else, well, it's not probably, it is the most dominant word, is family. It is family. The writings of Paul, and John in particular, are punctuated with language and imagery of family. We sang it this morning. You are not born into an organization. You are not born again into a denomination. You are born again by the Spirit of Christ. You are adopted, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit, and born again into a family. family. And I got a picture of it on Friday night. (laughs) Listen to the theology of this. We were born to do family. We were born to celebrate, right? So there's just this moment at the end, as cheesy as it sounds, we're all in a circle. It's totally biblical again, you see. Pentecostal roots. Let's get in a circle, got the DJ going, and we sang a song. What was the song? "Nothing's going to stop us now. <laughs> and we can't build this thing together." <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was getting a little emotional because I thought, this is it." <laughs> <laughs> this is it. Reformed. Man, we are in this thing together. This architecture is part of the story, but not all the story. The most common place to gather is not in rows, but in circles. In circles. In circles of celebration. Michelle pointed out to me this morning and we were talking about just, we need to throw more parties. And some of you struggle with that. But let me just tell you, I want to be really... Really helpful as a pastor. If you if you don't believe in it, your theology is wrong. It's wrong. You can't read the scriptures and see that Jesus did not attend or throw parties. Now there's are depleted in a family if they, you know, the wide family, if the only circle we gather around and call it Christian is around the sickbed or the grave. There's something depleted in your family life if that is your only experience of circle. And do you ever do that? We go to, when I go to a family funeral, it's, we meet up with cousins and, and, and friends, and we all say it. What do we all say? We should get together more often, but not like this. And then the next time we see each other, we're standing around a grave again. And we say the same thing. We should get together more often, but not like this. The New Testament authors depict the church with a variety of different imageries. I love the imagery in Scripture. When I went to Bible college, everything that I learned was... Well, they, they went a little over the top, but everything was, was types and shadows. Types and shadows. So we were looking for a type, and then we were looking for a shadow. Oh, that's the church. You can see the picture of church in that. Family, flock, right? Well, there was loads of metaphors. So it's, it's, it's imagery, and it's beautiful. But family, the term, like, like new birth... Born again, new birth. It's not Protestant. It's scriptural. New birth is just scriptural. Being saved and new birth is is, is family language. It's it's the language of the book. It's a, it's a language of family. Uh, new birth, children of God, sons of God, brethren. Brethren is not about some cultish organization. Whoa, 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 whoa! Don't be stepping on anybody's toes today, Jason. With secrets. It's not about that. It's about family. And there are no secrets. Pull them back. Pull them back. Fathers. And do we need fathers? Brothers and sisters. And household. Those are the names and the metaphors that saturate the New Testament church. Saturate it. It's dripping with family. It's dripping with family. So without question... The New Testament is filled with the language and the imagery of family. So what would be the definition of church today? If it is disciple or apprentice, if it's used more than nearly any other thing, and then the, the only thing that tops it is family, coming up to something like 350 times, if that is the case. If those are the main dominant imagery and words and metaphors for family that saturate the New Testament book the new, and the Scripture's And some in the Old Testament too you can find, if those saturate Scripture, then what is the definition of church? Let me give you my definition of church. Apprentices who live as a family. Apprentices, disciples who live not corporately, not in denomination, not in affiliation even, not in a club, not in a a, a, a movement, but in a family, a family. And that's why it's so important that you show up. And guys, it's important that you just don't show up on a Sunday. And I know we're busy, so please don't hear this as a criticism. It's, it's the last thing I want to do today. But let me just overemphasize one point, that it's important that we meet together in circles. Not just around the hospital bed, not just around the grave, but also in community, in fun, in fellowship, in communion and celebration together as the family of God that he intended it to be. So, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he uses the same language. He says, He says to them, um, Hey, on this weekly gathering, which they probably met on a Sunday night, he says to them, So, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, hold back, wait for one another. Wait for one another. And so, the central practice to become a disciple or apprentice is this. And this is something we need to recapture in the community and the family of church life today. This is it, eating and drinking with other believers. Eating and drinking with other followers of Jesus Christ. Eating and drinking with fellow apprentices. Eating and drinking with disciples, one another. It's totally biblical. Do you know that was the main theme of the church at that time? Matthew had a conversation with me last week. He thinks I've just got crazy on food. He says, like, dad, you just talk about food every week here. It's like, there's something going on in your life and you're just trying to (laughs) bring it in the church world? No, 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 no. It's totally biblical. It's a central act. It's a central act of gathering together. The central act was not the scripture reading or the worship of song. It was all part of it. But the central theme of the gathering of the church and the New Testament church, you can't get away from it. You can argue it black and blue. Show me in scripture and I'll go with you. But you cannot find it. The, The dominant act, the dominant focus of the New Testament church is eating and Drinking. That's what they gathered round. Food. Food. And may I emphasize they also had not got cars, scooters, or any other things. They walked everywhere. So, okay. You work that out. So if this is a practice, and it's not just a a lost art in the church, but also in society, believe it or not. If this is a practice and it's been a lost art in the church and it's also been a lost art in society because as the church goes, so society goes. And sometimes more than anything, and, and it shouldn't be, as society goes, so the church goes. But when we're talking about the church, my job is not to preach to society. My job is to inform and encourage and equip the body of Christ. It's the job of a pastor and a teacher. But I want to give you some, you know it, you know it anyway, I, I, I do find it a little crazy that I stand here today with my main theme is to encourage you as a family to eat together once a week. Uh, but the reason why I'm having to do that again, it's not so crazy, is because society has lost the practice of eating together as a family once a day even. Let me give you some things, are you, are you up for it, are you okay? Here's where, I, here's where we've ended up. The average dinner lasts for just 21 minutes. 21 minutes is what, what, how, many, how, many, how often we gather around the table, or the length of time, sorry, that we gather around the table. And most of that time is not around the table, it's actually the 21 minutes of sitting in front of the screen, TV. Uh, new research, 2018, times look very different two decades ago when eating three courses around the table with no technology was the norm. Just two percent of people prepare a three-course meal on a regular basis, and more than half of families now have a screen present when eating their meal. Anybody guilty in this room? Huh? I'm not, not, we're not here to talk about me. It's not all about me. We're here to talk about all these sinners. It's diet. In case you're wondering. So the living room takes precedence over the dinner table. Did you know that? Whereas the focus of the house before, decades ago, the main room for eating and connection community was the, the dinner, the dining room. We never had a dining room, but we had a dinner table. And then what's taken over the space of the dinner table is the living room. Trays, not tables, screens, uh, and, and yeah, they, they say that people eat meals more now in the living room compared to one in three in the dining room, and twenty percent is probably what it is. Is in the kitchen, around the kitchen table. So the living room it takes precedence over the dinner table for shared meals, with two out of five people say they eat their meals together in the living room compared to one or three in the dining room. But it's not all doom and gloom, right? Because here's what society's telling us. This is what the world's telling us. Figures show that almost half of the UK, 49%, consider having a meal at home or at a family member's house to be the most important way of spending quality time together. And 47% say they would like to do it more. There's a hunger for gathering around the table and eating together. A survey, a survey published by Co-op Food in partnership with a guy called Dr. Patrick Alexander from the Social Issue Research Center. You're going to remember all the stuff you'll be talking about over the dinner table today, and quoting percentages and all, all this sort of stuff. Also, found 40% of 16 to 24 year olds use smartphones as a way of extending mealtimes. So, to lengthen the mealtime, they've got to bring the tablet or the phone to the table, right? And heralding the arrival, the arrival of the digital dinner table. We live in a digital dinner table. Dr. Patrick Alexander, he said, Families continue to recognize the social importance of sharing food and uh, identify eating together as the activity that most brings them happiness and a sense of togetherness. No kidding. Original church again. Goes all back. Nothing new under the sun. What eating together means, however, is changing. Screen time during mealtimes, for example, is now common for the vast majority of families. Let me give you a quote by a guy called Leonard Sweet, very good communicator, Christian teacher. He said this in his book, From Tablet to Table. He writes, an untabled faith, he's talking to Christians, an untabled faith is an unstable faith. That's pretty, ha- I mean, it's like, that's a bit, bit much, Jason. I know plenty of good Christians eat with a tray on their knee. But, but, but maybe there's some truth in it, right? Maybe there is. Maybe, maybe what he's saying is untabled faith. We lose a sense of community, togetherness, of, of eating together, the communion, the, 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 this moment that Jesus has, has modeled for us. And neglect of the table, he goes on to say, in the churches is echoed in our families and our communities. I want to say this. We, we need to reclaim the practice of eating together and sharing our lives together as a community of faith. We need to do that. It needs to start here. Mother Teresa, one of my heroes of faith, said this here, Loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. And so before, we're, when Christians went out to leper, leprosy colonies, what if the church went out to people on their own? What if we reached out to the student that lived across the hall that was eating alone? What if we found the, the widow who sits in her bungalow most nights that we invited them into our house to eat a meal together? What if we find those who are lonely? Maybe it's a successful business, a type person who spends all their time and energy keeping up on that ladder to bring in what they need to bring in, which changes the next month and changes the next year. It rises and rises again. What if loneliness was their epidemic and their leprosy too? And we reached out our hands and said to them, hey, here's a place and a space for you. I can't find a better healing for us in our community here than gathering around to eat as a family. You see, we have this saying in the modern church, and we have it here too. We, we call our, probably our line is a place to belong. But one of the ways that we um, encourage people to come to church is we say, come as you are. The problem is that they come as they are. <laughs> see, we like that in principle, don't we? Say, "I just come as you are. But then when they come as they are, we think... Uh, Don't come as you are. Could you maybe just hide a little bit of that stuff and come as we would prefer you to be? See, the coming as you are means that we need healing. It's not that we stay there. It's not that that's end goal. It means that this is, what we're saying in that statement is this is a place for healing. This is a place for change. This is a place for repentance, to change the way that we think, to change the way that we live. This is a way to become the family of God, not to bring the traits of your family that are harmful or maybe messed up your life in the past. It's that we become born again. We're born into a new family. There's new family values. There's loving each other. There's, there's serving. There's giving. There's, there's preferring one another. There's holding one another up in times of need. There's all those things that we need to uh, live and recondition or think and recalibrate how we do life. You got that Right? But I, I think that one of the ways that people can come here and be healed is round the table in community, gathering actually once a week to experience Jesus. And Jesus made it simple. The one commandment that he was um, asked to champion, you know, the, 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 there were 644 um, laws out there. Just create some of them crazy. Uh, and, and so this guy, rich guy, educated guy, um, brilliant scholar he comes to jesus not to get jesus to champion one but just to catch jesus out trickery trickery it's a religious spirit it's a political spirit so he comes with a question not to find an answer he comes and he says what is it what's it all about and jesus says love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul and all your mind what does that look like love your neighbor as yourself how do you love your neighbor the gospel comes with a house key I can't find a better healing for us in community here than Gallery Weekly. So love is the verb, right? Love is the verb, it's the doing. It's action from the heart. That's what love looks like, loving God with all your heart, all your soul and your mind. You know, I laugh at people that they think they can love God with all their heart, their soul and their mind and then criticize the church of Jesus Christ and slam their Christians and other believers and you think that you can still love your Lord, your God with all your heart and your mind. You can't do it. It's impossible it cannot happen. You can't love the Lord your God with all your heart and your mind and gossip about the church of Jesus Christ. You can't do it. And if you are doing it, can I give you a word of a face? Stop it. Stop it. It's cancerous. It's cancerous. It's not good for your soul. It's not good for your health. It's not good for your spiritual well-being. And so we need to we need to recondition. We need to recalibrate how we do church and how we do community. And guys, we need to get back to the basics, back to the basics, back to the back, 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 back. See that 80s thing? It's really driving me nuts at the minute. (laughs) Hospitality is the most tangible way that we can express the love of God the Father in a tangible way. Hospitality, the love of the stranger, making the stranger the family of God. That's what we're called to do. And again, Rosario Butterfield, sorry, I love her phrase. She just uses this phrase time and time again in her writings uh, and her teachings. Radical, radically ordinary hospitality you want to change the world i think this is one of the keys radically ordinary hospitality let me give you um a snippet from her book that i've been reading called the gospel comes with a house key god calls christians to practice hospitality in order to build loving christian communities to build this is getting extreme this is getting a bit extreme to build nightly table fellowship with fellow image bearers. Man, if we can get you out once a week, I'm like, woohoo what's the numbers this week? But this, she's talking about nightly every day. And where's she getting that from, I wonder? Acts 2.42. They met daily in their homes, broke bread with glad and sincere hearts. A bit extreme, I hear you say. Different world. Certainly is a different world. To ease the pain of the orphanhood and the widowhood and prison. The gospel call that renders strangers into neighbors, into family of God is all pretty straight up when you read the Bible. Especially the book of Acts. And it requires both hosts and guests, not just one or the other. As giving and receiving are good and and sacred and connect people and communities in important ways. Do you get it? I don't have to say anything else. You might think, well, Jason, that's a wee bit extreme. We all live busy lives now. We're not living in the first century church. Heck, we certainly are not living in those days. We're overstretched. We're overrun. Never had as much freedom, but never have we felt more imprisoned in society with information and technology and fear and rumors and, and just the amount, the amount, the amount of stuff that we get into our minds and our heads on a daily basis is not helpful. But before we can ever reach out into our communities, Finyard Church Dungan, and if this is your family, if this is your tribe, if this is your community, before, hear me, hear me, hear me, hear me, before we can reach out to the world, we need to get community right. So I hear too many Christians wanting to change the world, but can't live next door to their neighbor. There's something wrong with that. Love your neighbor and then love the world. If you can't love your neighbor, this might be a bit extreme. Why are you bothering going on missionary trips across the world? If you find it hard to put out your neighbor's bin. How are you going to build a water resource in some part of the world? It's all about life together. Romans 13 practice, practice hospitality. It's what Paul commands the church to do. And so, all that to say this, and this is where we're landing this morning, and we're gonna give you so much goodness next week. It's gonna be unreal. You're gonna be here from 9.30 if you're smart. We need to hear this and begin to deepen our practice of community. So we're gonna change the structure of our life groups. To help us with the practice of Christian biblical hospitality, and so the call for the church is not simply to call each other's brothers and sisters for the sake of a cute churchy name. Do you ever do that? we don't do that much here, do we big big, big, big Darwin always calls me brother, I quite like it, but in a family endearing way, calls me cute and all words too <laughs> you know like we, we went. We used to, I used to go to this church, and it was a big Pentecostal church, and I used to say, how are you, brother? You know, it was just, it was just weird, you know, I just didn't like it, you know. I don't do hugs, and I don't do that. But everything was, hallelujah, brother and sister, you know. It was all brother and sister talk, but uh, uh, we were good at brother and sister talk on holidays, but we weren't so good at community and family. Uh, That's a great phrase, isn't it? Praise the Lord, brother. How are you doing, sister? But it's more than that. It's actually we embody the love of the Father and truly become family. That's when we use those words. When we embody the love of the Father and truly become family. Don't you want to do that? Are you not tired? Burnt out? Trying to do church? Would you not rather just be family? Community? Where do you think all the politics comes from? All the infighting? All the gossip? Families don't do that. Families are tight. You know families have values and principles. They never name them. G sure as heck step over one of them. You've landed in that enemy territory, right? You ever be in that moment where you've stepped on a family value? You've said a joke or you've done something and it's like whew. it's a bit like here some Sunday mornings, you know, when you talk about some certain issues and it's like, Oh, stepped on a landmine. Call for church. It's so not simply that we call each other brother and sister, but we actually live it out in family. Human beings, they ache for the need, this kind of relationship. And that's what we're after here at Vineyard Church in We're actually here to meet a need. You don't need me to tell you this. I am finishing. Our society is changing at a fast pace. <laughs> it's a bright boy up here this morning, isn't it? You don't need me to tell you that. Man, the last five years, we have changed at such a pace. That it is unrecognizable. Somebody put you into a a, a coma uh, and brought you out of that coma five, eight years. And you read the news and you looked at society and you looked at the way the church is and and just how things have shifted. I'm not here to to politicize or talk about them this morning. I'm here to teach Scripture. Well, we've changed. We've changed. We've changed so much. And here's the conclusion we've had, Michelle and I have had, as we've talked together. And uh, this is crucial. This is crucial. And we're not changing our, our way of practice life groups for, for, the, for the just, ah, oh, let's just change things. We need to shake things up around here in the vineyard. I'm getting too old, too slow, too tired for all that. Our society is changing at a fast pace. And so my question is to myself, Michelle, and I are having a senior pastors. And to you, with the change of culture and the fast pace of society, can our groups currently cope with the lives that we are living and I conclude no we need to change we need to become hospitable people that slow down around the table in a practice that has rhythm regularity on a regular basis Well, there's a rhythm for us to learn again the simple The simple, the simple model of the gospel that was taught by us, or taught to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth taught us a model and a principle. Heck, and wouldn't we be very silly people not to take on the model and the practice of Jesus of Nazareth? Wouldn't we be silly to think that our ways were better? smarter and more clever in the words of the theologian the scotch man who won big brother all those years ago it's not big and it's not clever it's not big and it's not clever the best way the clever way is to do what jesus of nazareth modeled for us as church and so we want to do that without community Without community, people, listen here, without community, around the table, without the communion of eating and drinking together and remembering Jesus' life, bringing the past into the now and the future into our present, without any of that, if we don't do that on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, then we won't mature to the full vision that Jesus has for us and created us to be. If we don't do that, Big statement again, if we stop that practice, if we push that practice to the side and try and do more things that keep us uh, stimulated (laughs) and more stuff to do and and more things to think about, if we're we're trying to do that all the time, then we won't become the people that God envisioned us to be, the apprentices of Jesus Christ who live in family. And so the structure is very simple, and here's how it changes. And I am finishing with these three points. Three points, I hear you (laughs) say. Here's a simple rhythm of family apprentices living as family. You ready? Eat together. It's an easy sale. Who's in? Yeah. Every feast the community sharing a meal together. Listen, this is radical. Don't tell anybody, kiss it, don't come next week. Every week. Every week. Like, not every day, but just... A week? Could you, could you manage to eat once a week? Pray together. Ah, we encourage every VCD community to pray together. Something that God does when His children come together before Him in prayer, we become family. We become family. Not only that, but simply asking, "What can I pray for?" Nothing says family more than asking somebody. How can I pray for you? What can I pray for? And then my third and final point. You can stand for this one. And I am really am over. Or well, I can keep talking. You choose. I'll keep talking. Come on, stand. We share life together. Meeting together one night a week is great. But when community starts to become... Listen, this and listen, this is this is really radical. This is I've really This is mad, Ted. This is mad. Meeting together once a week is great, but imagine if this community started doing life on life day in, day out together. Picked up the phone. If we used our technology to become family. If it wasn't around the grave and just wasn't all around the hospital, but it was actually around a meal and around a, a glass of pheno or whatever your thing is. Whoop, hope it didn't stand on anybody's toes imagine it was around celebration imagine it was around just conversation and Jesus became the centerpiece of the conversation what kind of life shared would that be an everyday relationship that's when let me use a very scary word that's when the magic happens that's when it happens the invitation for you for me It's a community of faith. We become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Disciples who live with intentionality as the family of God. And this is what we have to do. We need to open our eyes and look for the opportunities to invite people around the table.